Welcome to part five in this series from Watch It Baptist Church Online. We're looking at the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at uh, the Holy Spirit's work and purpose and ministry and presence by looking at a number of different topics and going on a little survey of the Bible as we consider each of those topics. Each time our survey has taken us to six different places and this time we'll be doing something similar. My name is Mike, I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church and we'll be launching in any moment with the first of six looks at uh, New Testament passages. Five of them are from the book of Acts, and if you know anything about Acts, you'll know that it's not surprising that we find lots of references to the work of the Holy Spirit in that account. It's a story of how the church begins and develops. Before we do any of those six stops on our tour, let's pray. Lord, help us to approach this session with expectation, Help us to be willing to be led by the hand, by the Holy Spirit. To have some of our understanding renewed or challenged or reminded. And to end up going in the direction that follows your Holy Spirit too. Amen. Okay, this time our tour starts in Acts chapter 1. And I'm beginning at verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, Jesus commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptised with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know, but you will receive my power. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right at the very start of the story of the church, Jesus is still involved talking to and preparing the apostles, the, the guys who had been his entourage, at least 11 of them throughout the gospel stories. And at this point, he is about to return to his father. So he's died. He's been buried. He's risen again to life he's made numerous appearances to his disciples as well and at this point he's stopped with them he's eating with them and he's just putting them in the picture be ready for what's coming and let me help you understand some of what that might be he says so there are two particular references in here that are worth just noting one is that in verse 5 jesus reminds his disciples that john had baptized with water but in just a few days he says you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a moment in their lives when the Holy Spirit's arrival in a, in a form of baptism is going to be something that changes things for them. And the second reference is in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit's arrival isn't just going to be a nice warm fuzzy feeling, it's going to be a thing that brings power. And we saw this in our last session as we talked about the Holy Spirit's role in the ministry of Jesus and that power was part of that too. Holy Spirit is powerful. We know this not least because he was involved in the creation and also 
in the conception of Jesus. Holy Spirit's arrival in Mary brings about the pregnancy. That means Jesus is later born. So there is an enormous power in what the Holy Spirit does and how he does it. And Jesus wants his disciples to really understand this. There's power coming. And it's the kind of power, he says, that he himself has been able to demonstrate as God's power. So the power that's coming isn't the power for the disciples to use according to their own priorities or desires. But it's a power that is supposed to be an expression of God's will and purpose. A little later in Acts, there's a moment when there's a, a sorcerer, a guy who claims to be able to work magic, who offers to pay some of the disciples so that he can have this power. And they say, look, that is not how it works. But the power is really striking and makes an impact and changes the lives of people around them. So there's power to act in Jesus' name that comes with the Holy Spirit. That's our first stop in our tour. And our second stop is in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 4 again. And it says this, Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So the Holy Spirit, there's power at work here, yes. But the Holy Spirit is making it possible for people to say and to hear what God is saying. This is a point at which the disciples become a much more direct mouthpiece for the message of Jesus. And that's not to say that their voices weren't affected before. We see that as Jesus sends them out in pairs, twice as a 12 and as a 70 or 72, that Jesus has already given them permission to use their voices uh, and empowered them to do that. But in this instance, we see something new and different and bigger. And we know that this is the case because Jesus has warned them in advance that it's coming. And there is an ability for people to say what needs to be said and to hear what needs to be heard because the Holy Spirit is involved. Sometimes it might be possible for us to get preoccupied with the power of the Holy Spirit as something that brings about um, physical healing only or, or where that's the priority. Actually, it would seem that on the day of Pentecost, which is where Acts 2 uh, is describing what's going on there, that the priority is making sure people understand what's being said. And this appears to be a high priority for the Holy Spirit. One might even say that there are moments in Jesus' own ministry where, because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's able to say that things that need to be said, possibly that nobody else dares to say. So speaking and hearing the message of Jesus is a key thing for the Holy Spirit's role. Our third stop on our tour is again in Acts, and we're in Acts 8 this time. We're going to read verses 26, 29, and then just verse 39 on its own at the end. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, is how I'm going to pronounce it, I might be wrong, Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along 
beside the carriage. And then in verse 39, we have this magic moment, and I've not printed it on a bit of paper, so I'm going to have to just tell you what it says rather than read it word for word. And it's a wonderful moment where after the Ethiopian eunuch has come to understand and trust in Jesus and has been baptized, Philip suddenly disappears from his sight and then suddenly reappears in a place called Azotus. So there seems to be this moment where the Holy Spirit needs him to be somewhere else and just uh, puts him there, almost like some kind of celestial teleportation. This is key as well because what we see from this is the Spirit speaks to Philip through an angel and says, this is where you need to be. And so Philip goes. This is crucial for us because it can be really easy for us to feel that our faithful obedience to Jesus largely revolves around being where we are and allowing people to find us. But there are moments when actually the Spirit is calling us to go to where people are and not to stay where we already have been. Or Philip starts out in Jerusalem, heading out towards Gaza, and then ends up in the desert, and then ends up in Azotus, which is on the coast. He doesn't get a lot, a lot of choice in where he is. He just keeps being given instructions. But I'm willing to bet that Philip would rather receive and follow those instructions than not have them. And the spirit here at work in the early church is saying, now go here. Now you need to be here. Now do this thing. Now be in that place. We see a sort of inverse of this uh, later in Acts when we find out that Paul has plans to go to particular cities that the Spirit won't let him go to. The Spirit blocks his journey where it's the wrong place to be. This means that for us, there's an important bit of prayer to be done, that we actually go to God and say, Holy Spirit, would you show us where, we need, where we're needed? You know, where your kingdom requires us to be present. What's our geography supposed to be at this time? And for some people, and many of you will know of them, that means leaving your home nation and going overseas in order to support work that's being done in Jesus' name in other countries. But for others, others of us, it will mean participating in something that's local, but isn't perhaps in our regular orbit. A willingness to go to the geography that the Spirit is calling us to is crucial. And Philip's story shows us that. Next, we're back in Acts 4, we're reading verses 29 to 31, and they see this. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, in the run-up to this story, boldness is pretty far from where those people are in that early church uh, house setting. And after the Holy Spirit's arrival, they are empowered with boldness, not just with ability, but with a state of mind, with a sense of courage, with a, with a confidence that they can go and do things that they were previously frightened about because the Spirit is with them and gives them that sense of courage. I don't know about you, but I certainly find there are moments when courage is the last thing in my head, even while I'm thinking I want to do God's will here. And then I sometimes bottle out of doing something that I think might have been a good idea just because I don't feel very confident. I would love for this boldness to be something I experience. I'd love to know where the Holy Spirit wants me to be, to have courage to be there, 
and to exercise the gifts that he's given me as a way of expressing uh, the presence of the kingdom and of Jesus. In this instance, allowing for the possibility that the Spirit's call on us isn't just to do a thing or think a thing or even to be renewed in, in our own minds, that is crucial. But it might not just be those things. It might also be the instruction to go and the equipping to be bold, to be courageous. Now, I don't think that that courage is possible without this really deep sense of faith that no matter what we're doing and how we're doing it and where we might be when we do it, that we are safe because of Jesus. It doesn't mean nothing bad will happen, but it means that the things that really matter about what makes us secure are provided through Jesus and by his Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about things seeming uncertain or unlikely because our faith allows us to carry good, strong roots wherever we go. Stop number five. We're in 1 Corinthians, just taking a little break from Acts just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. The same spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else this one spirit gives the gift of healing. Now this is about how the spirit brings healing, and in some ways that's through others, and in some ways it's through the Spirit directly, and in some ways it's through other means. So I'm going to roll this together with stop number six, which is in Acts 9, uh, and in verse 17. Ananias went and found Saul. This is Saul who becomes Paul later. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. So Ananias goes and does this because the Holy Spirit has called on him to go and meet this guy called Saul, who everyone's terrified of because he's killing Christians left, right and centre. Ananias goes and actually by laying his hands on him and praying that he be filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a healing that happens there. In the previous uh, passage, I was reading 1 Corinthians 12, that same Saul who becomes Paul is talking about how sometimes the Spirit gives individuals an ability to heal. That may be something that we don't feel we see very often in and around us. And I understand that sometimes that can make us wary about healing and how it happens. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. It doesn't mean that gift is no longer given. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that the Holy Spirit's power isn't limited. That as we saw in the last uh, session, uh, John talking about Jesus, that the Holy Spirit was with him in an unlimited way. And we can recognise that the Holy Spirit can be with us in an unlimited way too. Healing is a tricky one. My early experiences of how healing works and what it looks like were not positive. I grew up in a church that wasn't a particularly charismatic one. I think the idea of um, healing through the Spirit was very new to me when I was younger, in my early teens. And my dad had a lot of pain in his uh, knees and actually in his hips too, but he felt it mostly in his knees. And he believed in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal and went forward for prayer several times for healing of this pain. And it wasn't healed. 
at that point or in that way. And there were those around him who were praying for him who ended up telling him that it was his lack of faith that was the problem. And that was something that hurt a lot for him. Uh, I don't think it's a true or fair way to respond to a situation in which healing doesn't happen either. But it was crucial for me in my understanding at that point. And I learned that this doesn't seem to necessarily do these things, even when they seem like a good idea. And years later, when my dad was ill with cancer and uh, we had sort of 10 weeks between his diagnosis and when we lost him. And, and in that time, there was a, definitely a phase when I and my family would pray for his healing. That didn't happen then either. And uh, I've had my phases of feeling very angry with God about that healing not happening. I think the reason I bring this is because healing can sometimes sound and feel really simplistic, really kind of procedural. Yeah? Do this thing with this person and that thing will happen and then all will be well. And I think my experience of reading the whole of Scripture, rather than just some of the bits in Acts, is that God chooses how he's going to uh, support, encourage, heal, serve, comfort his people. We know from John's Gospel that sometimes God chooses to heal those who have no interest in him. We know from our Old Testament, particularly our wisdom literature, Psalms and Ecclesiastes, I'm thinking of particularly, that sometimes healing doesn't happen and that seems horribly unfair. And these things can make us very hesitant. Alongside that very understandable hesitancy, I want to reassure all of us that the Holy Spirit can and does heal. My dad's hip and knee pain was sorted when he eventually saw a physiotherapist who he made an appointment with. And as my dad was walking up the driveway, physio thought to himself, I know what that guy's problem is. His hips are done for, he needs replacements. And that was exactly right. And he was pain-free after that hip operation. Eventually, it takes a while to heal. But you know, the Holy Spirit does do healing. Jesus is interested in healing and did lots of it. Not everybody but definitely lots. And we can be assured that the Holy Spirit brings healing. The thing we also need to do is to have a wise approach to how often that happens, why it's going to happen, and then perhaps also how we cope when it doesn't. Well, that's the end of this week's tour. We're going to pray, and then we're going to ask our three questions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this chance to explore the work of your Holy Spirit in the early church particularly. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is a person of power and of healing. And we pray that we would hold fast to a trust in you, God, when the power doesn't seem to come where we would hope it would or the healing doesn't happen in the way that we would like or that we would choose. We place ourselves at the mercy of your power, knowing that you are good and that your love endures, and knowing that although we often don't understand, that doesn't mean you stop caring. But we thank you too for the power that is there, and we pray that we would be um, 
ambitious for your kingdom enough to ask for that power and to step out in faith for the sake of your glory and the kingdom of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here we are with some questions. Question number one. Who might you feel that you need courage or boldness to talk to about Jesus? We saw, didn't we, in one of those stops on the tour early on that the people in that, the, the disciples in that room as that prayer meeting was happening, uh, spirit came and rested on them and they had boldness to talk about Jesus. But let's call to mind an individual or two who we think, well, I don't really feel brave enough to talk to them about Jesus. And then let's ask the Spirit for his help in finding that boldness and doing that speaking. Question two, what's your experience of praying for healing? Either through somebody who seems to have a gift of it or, or directly in some other way? What's your experience of it? And how has that left you feeling about how healing happens? How might we carry a sense of faith into our understanding of how healing works? Question three, do we tend to ask the Spirit to help us hear God? As we pray, do we make space and time to be listening and do we ask the Holy Spirit to speak? If we do, what can we do to encourage those around us who don't do that? Can we give them any advice on techniques or spend time with them doing so? And if, if we don't do that, how might we explore maybe bringing that into how we pray? Thank you for being with us for this session. It's been good to look at the power and the healing power of the Holy Spirit. We've got one more part to go, one final tour, and we'll get to that next time. Look forward to catching up with you. Do take care. I'll see you soon.